So uh, let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking at a message I call When the Devil Preaches. Now, I don't want anybody to come out and say, you listen to that old devil preach this morning. I, <laughs> nothing like that. That's not, that's not what it is. When the Devil Preaches, Luke chapter 4. It's a time when Jesus went to church and preached, and the devil went to church and preached too. And we're going to look at the devil's sermon, because it's recorded for us. Luke chapter 4 and verse 33 now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Now, though I said a moment ago it was a time when they went to church, you know, the word church means assembly. This was a synagogue, we understand that, a synagogue of the Jews. Uh, but Jesus was there, no doubt his disciples were also there, and so all the elements of that first church were there as well. Uh, that's uh, uh, what it was. The church in those days kind of moved around where Jesus was. So I don't think it's too much to say that there was a time when Jesus went to church and the devil went to church and Jesus preached and the devil preached. Uh, you understand what we're talking about, the synagogue. Now this was probably not Beelzebub himself. It's probably one of the lesser demons called an unclean demon in this passage as if uh, that doesn't mean now that there was some other kind. There wasn't a clean demon. They're all unclean. But Perhaps this one was uh, particularly uh, a strong, particularly difficult to deal with, an unclean demon, particularly nasty. We might think that a worship service would be an unusual place for the devil to show up. But I submit to you this morning that church services are one of his main places to hang around. And I didn't just make that up or just think about it. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the soils, the sower. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, like you're doing right now, and does not understand it or comprehend it, believe it, accept it, receive it, then the wicked one, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. It's sobering to think that the wicked one, or one of his, or several of them, bunches of them, who knows, is right around while the gospel is being preached, and he's operational, ready to snatch it away, ready to distract, ready to get your mind on anything else, except the power of the Word of God as it is preached. Now, we tend to think that when we get under conviction, I'm not going to make a decision today, not right now, not today. And we go out, 
We intend to revisit that again. I'm going to think about this some more, but we don't. You know why? Because of what Jesus said right here in this passage. When you hear the word, but you don't believe it, don't receive it, don't comprehend it, don't accept it, the wicked one snatches it away. And the reason why that you don't go home like you intend or some other later time, or I'm going to think about this again, I need to pray about this some more, and the reason why you don't do it is because it's gone. You're distracted. It moves on. Life goes on. It doesn't wait. The devil really has only one business, and that business is deception. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus spoke to a group of people and said, You are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Father of lies. A devil is a liar. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not capable of telling the truth. But when the devil tells the truth, even if he is speaking the Word of God, he is twisting it and distorting it. There's a lie in there somewhere, and he is adept at taking the truth of God and turning it into a lie. That's what he loves to do. His business is deception and lies, and he is incredibly good at it. He is always out to deceive people away from the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 says this, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is of no great thing of his ministers. You see that? His ministers. His ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. All over this country today there are men and women standing in pulpits just like this one with Bibles in their hands presenting themselves as preachers of righteousness. That's exactly who Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And yet Paul identifies them as his ministers. They are known by the gospel that they preach. By the gospel that they preach, Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say also again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. If Paul could have said it any stronger, he would. And if I could say it this morning any stronger, I would. But I can't. We are known by the gospel that we preach. And anybody preaching any other gospel than the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is salvation by the blood of the Lamb, plus nothing, minus nothing, that is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life, that, brothers and sisters in Christ, is the gospel. And if anybody else is preaching anything else, they belong to the other team. His ministers. While it goes on in churches like this one, it's far from being the only place. Uh, there are newscasters, commentaries, writers of books, producers of music, movies, television shows that are presenting 
false gospels, false truths, completely false ideas of gospels, of a gospel. Completely false ideas about God. And it doesn't matter to use the old American bandstand phrase if it's got a catchy tune and it's easy to dance to. If it is telling us a message about God that is completely wrong, then that's being produced by the other team, brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's not just in pulpits, not just in places like this, not just in the false religious systems, although it certainly is there. But everywhere in our culture today, the devil preaches. He never stops. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't punch a time clock. Doesn't log out at five. Doesn't take a day off, not even for President's Day. I mean, he is going all the time. And the elements of what he preaches all around the world are found right here in this text this morning. His first point is very strikingly made. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. The great evangelist Vance Havner was fond of saying there's a do not disturb sign hung out over many of an American congregation today and that was true back in the 40s when he preached it. It's even more true today. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. I was conversing with a young uh, millennial the other day who said so seriously, you know, people these days don't like to be preached to. <laughs> I laughed out loud. I did it again. <laughs> people today don't like to be preached to. Do tell. Do tell. When have they ever liked being preached to? I'll tell you, when uh, it takes the power of the Spirit of God, it takes spiritual maturity and I'm thankful that we've got a whole bunch of them right here in this church. It takes the power of the Spirit of God changing us to get us to where we actually like to hear the Word of God preached in the power of the Spirit of God. And that's an indication, you see, of our spiritual maturity. We kind of we like it. Yes, it hurts us. and you know, But when it hurts us, we know we need to be hurt. When it hits us, we know we need it hidden. When it's correcting us and rebuking us, we know that we needed it. That's the power of the Spirit of God at work in us. Our hearts need to be regularly plowed by gospel preaching. If it doesn't, the soil of our hearts goes fallow. If you don't know what fallow ground is, ask some of the farmers in your neighborhood. But I'll tell you real quick, it means hard. It's growing up weeds and it doesn't produce anymore. Seed can't penetrate it. Fallow ground. Now, if it does happen in churches when this idea or concept of leaving us alone and people to leave us alone, if he's doing that in church, and he does, but certainly there are many, many other places and areas where it's being preached, and you see it. You see it in the hearts of people. It's been deeply ingrained into them, and that is simply to leave us alone. I don't want to be bothered by the idea of God. I don't want to be bothered by being accountable to God. I don't want to be bothered by hearing the Word of God. I'm living my life. It's my life. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. It's deeply ingrained in our culture these days. 
When Jesus encountered this demon, it, it wasn't the first time that Luke chapter 4 records some satanic activity going on. In fact, if you'll look at the first of the chapter when you get home, you look at the first of the chapter, Luke chapter 4, you'll see it records the temptation of Jesus when he did a battle with the devil and overwhelmingly defeated, defeated him. Now, you might expect that after such a crushing victory that the devil would have left him alone, but that's not the case. Here he is preaching in a synagogue, and there's the devil right there messing with him again. And as Jesus begins to preach, we don't know what he preached here. It's not recorded, but we do know just above this that he was down the road in his hometown at Nazareth. And he quoted from this passage, Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And he said to those people, and this day is this passage fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, what an incredible time. What a great passage. And of course, the operational principles for our case this morning, I've come to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I want to pick up several other passages this morning that discuss Jesus and His work in relationship to the work of the evil one. 1 John 3 and 8, second part of that passage, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That's the devil, by the way. The God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hmm. I could preach two or three months out of those passages. But I'll read them to you today just to give you some understanding about some things. Jesus, you see, identifies himself as the one who had come to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound. Not every lost 
person in this world today is demon-possessed. I want to make that very clear. The passages that I read to you, for example, the one that says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, and the whole world, we all (coughs) were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is to say uh, that the devil was uh, influencing us, leading us around. We were walking the way he wanted us to walk. And he would describe that then as the common situation of every lost person. So while we cannot say and would not say that every lost person is demon-possessed, they're not. But we can say that every lost person is in bondage to sin and to the devil. Every lost person is blind to spiritual truth. Every lost person is walking a course laid out for them by the devil. Every lost person is under the sway or the influence of the wicked one. Every single one. Now, when you read the gospel accounts, you can't help but notice that there are demon-possessed people running around everywhere. And that there was an absolute epidemic of demonic activity associated with the appearance of Christ. The book of Revelation promises another outbreak, another epidemic of demonic activity. And quite frankly, they might be getting a little bit of a head start even in our world today. But the Revelation certainly promises another outbreak of this demonic epidemic in the world. But it was going on when Jesus was here. It was in full force. Say, how do we respond? The primary weapon in our arsenal against demonic activity is not an incantation. It's not. It's not some ceremony. Get Hollywood out of your mind. The primary weapon in our arsenal against demonic activity is the Word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see it demonstrated right here in Luke chapter 4 with the devil himself and here again in Luke chapter 4 where they trembled, where he trembled at the preaching of the word of God. In fact, he trembled so much that the devil started screaming. The Greek word that's used is the word ah, but we don't say it like ah, we say it ah. He screamed, Ah! Leave us alone! Everything he says in this passage, he was screaming, screaming. Now we might think that he was screaming in anger, but the fact is, the underlying, though it might have come across as being anger, The underlying force behind it was terror. He was afraid. There's a lot of screaming going on in America today. You don't have to get out in the public sector and start telling the truth of God very long before somebody is liable to be screaming at you. We see it playing out before us all the time. News cameras are always rolling, and if they don't just happen to be on the scene when it goes on, there's somebody there or dozens of somebody with cell phones and 
It'll be everywhere before you get at it. There's a lot of screaming going on in this country. I'm not saying that all of those people doing the screaming are demon-possessed. They're not. But I will tell you that if they are lost, and if they don't believe in God, if they haven't received Jesus Christ, if they have rejected uh, the inspiration of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, if they have not received Christ as their Savior, they're lost. And remember what we said, every one of them is under the sway of the wicked one. And he has preached into their hearts, souls, and minds. He has pounded it into them again and again and again. Don't let them bother you. Leave us alone. Do whatever you have to do to stop the message. It's played out right there in Capernaum long ago. There's Jesus, the Son of God, preaching the truth of God. And there's that demon screaming at him. Leave us alone. Point number one. Second point. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Please notice at this time that he uses the plural in every single statement except the last one. I know you who you are. But every other time he says we. You say, why did he say we? Remember, he has inhabited the body. This demon is in the body of a man. And so he is speaking not only for himself, but for the man that he has inhabited. And that's why he, he says, uh, leave us alone. And now continuing in that same screaming tone of voice, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Please notice that the demon has blown his cover completely. And that is something that they don't like to do up until this time. There was no indication that this demon was any, this demon inhabited man or infested man, uh, possessed man, was any different than anybody else in that congregation that day. Nobody had noticed until all of a sudden he started screaming under the preaching of the Word of God. Leave us alone. Second point, what do we have to do with you? What he says is that we have no common ground. We have nothing in common. There is nothing that we have between you and I. This is a, a, a demonic version of you're on your side and I'm on my side. You have your truth. I have my truth. There is nothing in common between us. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to listen. Does that sound familiar to you today? How successfully the devil has positioned this into the hearts and souls and minds and hearts of people all around the world. Don't want to listen. You don't agree with me? Talk to the hand. I'm not listening. Not listening. Not going to hear it. Don't even want you talking. Not going to let you talk. This man is screaming, and he kept on screaming. What do we have to do? We got nothing for each other. You have nothing for me. You have nothing for us. I don't have anything for you. Now, now the demon we'll see in a moment already knew who Jesus was. He wasn't concerned about what he was going to hear. Nothing was going to happen to him. It wasn't like he had a soul. He doesn't. Let's understand something. Uh, they are spiritual beings, but the angels are not redeemable. They're not. They were never a part of God's redemptive purpose in Christ. 
Uh, they are spiritual beings. Some of them rebelled, and once that decision was made, whatever decision that was made, they were sealed in that forever. Angels, to put it simply, can never be saved. So these demons, there was nothing about him that was going to see him be redeemed or be saved. He already knew who it was. So who was it that he wanted to, to shut down? Who was it that he didn't want to listen to the truth? Well, it was that body that he was inhabiting and everybody else in the building. He didn't want them to hear what Jesus had to say. Your truth has nothing to do with me. We have nothing in common. When people tell us, well, that may be your truth, but it's not my truth, that's a hard thing for us to defend against. I understand. I, in a way, I can understand. I mean, I, you and I, we, we've come to church. You've been, if you're a Christian today, you have uh, probably been in church a lot. You've studied the Bible. You believe the Bible. A lot of things you believe are already set and settled in your mind, and nobody's going to change your mind. And, and I understand that. Uh, I mean, all the folks can come by in white shirts and knock on my door that they want to. They're not going to change my mind. I'm going to try to change theirs, but uh, uh, they're not going to change mine. Uh, they have their truth. I have my truth. We can deal with whoever we want to, whatever it is that's out there trying to influence me or you, hopefully, away from the truth of Scripture. We can say, I know what the Bible says, and I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to accept it. This is true, and I will not change my mind. We gotta understand then where the folks on the other side are when they say that may be your truth, but it's not mine. They have a whole different way of looking at things. They're no more inclined to change their minds than we are to change ours. We have nothing to do. There's no sense in us talking. I'm not gonna listen. You say, what's the difference then? Well, the difference plays out right here in our text. I feel no compulsion to get up in anybody's face and scream at them about what they're saying. I feel no compulsion to have to get out and try to shout somebody down. I can listen to them. And when I speak to them, I'm going to do my very best to do what the Bible says, and that is to speak the truth in love. Amen? And that what we do. Jesus is not jumping up and down, screaming. He didn't. When he responded to demons over and over and over again, he spoke the word to them. And that's exactly what his disciples did. They spoke the word. And that word was powerful. It still is. It still is. But this is the second great point then that the devil tries to get across in that passage, in our context, and he's still getting across into the minds and hearts of, of people that he has sway over, and that is everybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior is to varying degrees under the sway, the influence of the wicked one. Point one is leave us alone. Don't let it get to you. Don't let it bother you. And we don't have anything. They have nothing to say that you want to hear. Don't listen. What have I to do with you? We have nothing in common. Number three, are you here to destroy us? Did you come to destroy us? 
Now the devil had every reason to fear Jesus. Remember in 1 John, uh, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy uh, the works of the devil. And so uh, the devil had every reason uh, to be concerned because of course, the answer to this question was yes. <laughs> Did you come to destroy us? Well, specifically, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He was out to destroy what he was doing. But when Jesus begins to preach and speak the truth, uh, he tips his hand then on all of his lies in this passage. It shows us perhaps a bit of the desperation that the devil feels and that he is screaming these things out and, and thus showing himself. You see, the best deception is the one that we never see coming and never even know what happened. It might be a little bit inconvenient to us, a little bit disconcerting, uh, disconcerting and a little bit concerning. Uh, when we see something, something comes along to us, maybe sent to us by a trusted friend, uh, by the social media platform that shall not be named. Maybe an email that comes through, and man, it looks official, it looks fine, and man, that's a concern. I better send that to all, and we just hit that share button. It's so easy to do share, share, share. And then somebody else comes along and says, no, this is fake. This is fake. Never happened. And then we feel bad. We've got an ouchie that needs a Band-Aid. Bad thumb, bad, bad finger. I shouldn't have hit share. Wish I hadn't have clicked that mouse. Oh, bad. It's just a little disconcerting, though. Maybe a little embarrassing. But you see, the devil knew that there were much higher stakes in this particular sense because we're not talking about a little moment of embarrassment or a little ouchie that could be fixed with a Band-Aid. We're talking about matters of eternal destiny of men and women, boys and girls around the world. Millions, billions of people who are going to die and either go to heaven for all eternity or hell for all eternity. There's nothing more serious than that. It's interesting then that the devil is out to claim and convince people that Jesus is out to destroy everybody he has sway over. So that all those who are buying into his version of reality, all of those who are under the sway of the devil, he leads them to think that Jesus and his people and his preachers and his truth are out to destroy him. That is the exact opposite of reality. We're not out to destroy them. We're out to save people. We're out to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But this is particularly ironic because Revelation chapter 9 records a time when the Bible calls the bottom, what the Bible calls a bottomless pit is open and a demonic army is unleashed, so great and so numerous that John says that the sky was black with them. Can you imagine a demonic army so great that it blacked out the sky? Whew. Read Revelation chapter 9 when you get home. Make sure you got somebody with you. It's scary. They served a king named Avathon. Avathon. 
His name means destroyer. Destroyer. Isn't it interesting that the one whose name is destroyer is out to convince everybody under his sway that the one whose name is Joshua, Yahshua in the Hebrew, that means Savior or Deliverer. The one who is named Deliverer or Savior is out to hurt him. But that's the message that he's proclaiming in our world today. And oh, it is so, so very effective. When we talk, though, about the power of the gospel, remember what John 5, 24 said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death and life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Yes, the devil is blinding people. Yes, the devil has people under his sway. Yes, the devil is out to convince people that Jesus is out to hurt them, to destroy them, that Jesus and God's people is out to get them, when in fact we are trying to reach them with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might be saved and their life changed for good and for God and for His glory. They think, though, and they think it honestly. Why? Because the devil's convinced them. We're out to get them. We're out to destroy them. We're not. We're not. We're out to see them saved. But it's right here in the text. And so because the devil is so good at what he does, we might think, well, what can we do? Well, we preach the gospel. Why? Because the gospel, when it's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, they're blind. <laughs> Yes, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ said the day is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man and they that hear will live. Gospel's powerful. Powerful. Are you come then uh, to destroy us? One of the favorite things that the devil tries to do to get people under his sway is, is use religion. He does. It's kind of like a vaccination. You know, when you're vaccinated, you're inoculated with a, a, a dead virus, and that keeps you from being able to get the live one. And, and the devil loves to inject people with dead religion because it keeps them from hearing the real live truth of the gospel that can change them. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, though, Paul told the young preacher, Timothy, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, in doing this, you will save yourself and them that hear you. That's the power of the gospel, the power of the word of God. Lastly, then, the demon says, I know you who you are. I know you. Here's where the pronoun changes from us to I, it is the demon, and he alone, that he's speaking for at this point in time, I know who you are. James chapter 2 and verse 19 says, you believe there's one God, you do well, even the devils believe, and tremble. Don't you like that part? <laughs> and tremble. And tremble. This trembling, terrified devil is screaming in the presence of Jesus because of who he is. And there 
terrified in fear. And that's a great thing. I couldn't help but think of this this week. You know, I don't believe in fairies. I'd apologize to Tinkerbell, but she's not real. <laughs> Sorry, you'd have to know Peter Pan. Uh, I don't believe in fairies. They don't scare me a bit. Doesn't it scare you to go into a cemetery? Not a bit. Why? Because I don't believe in ghosts. Don't. I do believe that there are spiritual beings in this world. I do believe it because the Bible says it. There are angels and there are demons, spiritual beings. I'm not going to tell you this morning that if a flaming sun of light were to show up in my face, that I wouldn't fall down onto my face then and out of stark terror. Of course I would. That's what everybody else did in the Bible. Why wouldn't I? When I got on my face, though, as if uh, to assume that posture of worship, I would expect the angel to immediately rebuke me and say, no, get on your feet. I'm a servant of God just like you are. That's what they did. I'm not going to tell you that if I saw an angel, it wouldn't terrify me. It would. I'm not going to tell you that if I saw a demon, it wouldn't terrify me. It would. Of course it would. A lot of things happen in this world that we can't explain. And we go looking for explanations, and a lot of times we look to Hollywood or some writer or some this guy or that guy or the other guy. Folks, we need to be looking in the Bible. If we look in the Bible, then there's an unseen world out there. There are demons and angels. We don't need to fear angels because they are here to serve us. They serve God by serving His people. The devils, listen, if you're a Christian... You don't need to fear them either because remember, Jesus has destroyed him that had the power over death. That was all he had. And now that he through death has destroyed him who had the power of death, we have nothing to fear from him either. And that's Hebrews 2 and 15. But this terrified devil crying out to Jesus, I know who you are. I know who you are. Let's remember this morning that there's a vast difference between that and what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 when he said, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That is the testimony of a blood-bought, born-again, child of heaven's king. I know whom I believed. And I know he is able to keep what I have committed unto him, my life, my eternal destiny. I know that that is set and settled. He is keeping it. I am kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. We don't have to fear death of the one who can kill us. No, don't have to. Because greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. You know, when people ask me about demon possession, I, and they do pretty frequently, I have to always answer the same way. I, there's a lot about it I don't understand, and I'm not going to act like I do when I don't, because I don't. Have I ever met anybody that I was convinced was demon-possessed? Mm, no, no. Have I had good preacher friends that I trust? who most of them overseas, most of them on the foreign mission field, have encountered people that they were convinced were demon-possessed? Yes. Yes. Do I believe it's still going on? Yes. Not like it was in the Bible times. Not like it's going to be. But what's going on in our world today 
would very much fall under the heading of what we see play out in that synagogue in Capernaum long ago. The devil hasn't stopped preaching. He still is. His message is clearly identified. He blew his cover. He screamed it out. Leave us alone. We have nothing to do with you. Don't want to listen. We have nothing in common. You're here to get me. I know who Jesus is. I know who Jesus is. Well, I celebrate Christmas. <laughs> I'm an American. One nation under God. Of course I'm a Christian. James said that the devils believe in God. The devils believe in Jesus. The devils knew exactly who Jesus was, but the devils were not saved. And that same thing can be true of you. Because when the Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world, John spelled it out very plainly in John chapter 1. He said that as many as received him, as many as received him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, Brother Rich, I don't know how to do that. I'm, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Let me tell you real quick. I think you know, I've already told you today, that Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. You say, you mean I'm a sinner? Yes, all have sinned. The Bible says Romans 3.28 comes short of the glory of God. Jesus died for your sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, but He didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day according to the Scripture, giving out then the testimony that whoever trusts in Him, not trusts in me, so many people look at this whole gospel situation and think about it. It's all about something that I need to do, something that I need to change. Let me tell you something. What you need to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him to save you because you cannot, cannot save yourself. Amen. Trust Him. He will. Oh, how we need to preach that in today's world. You say, Brother Rich, God didn't call me to preach. I know, I know. He called you, though, to be a witness. And if you've been saved, then you can testify what happened to you. I believed and I was saved. Oh, how your friends, neighbors, co-workers, loved ones need to hear this message. They're hearing from the other side all too well. Leave us alone. Got nothing for me, nothing in common. You're out to get me. I already know who Jesus is. That's the message. God help us as God's people to get out into this world with the truth. Don't let ourselves be shouted down. Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. Let's stand together, please.